this morning, Psalm chapter 2. So we continue uh, in the Apostles' Creed. We're, we're today acknowledging the reign, uh, the reign of Christ. Uh, on the third day he rose again, he ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. We know that the one truth in which we depend upon, the one truth in which we base our lives upon today is the truth that Jesus Christ is Lord and that he is ruling and reigning all things now. One amen. Let's try that again. All right. Thank you, Jan. Yeah. She's been out of town for a week or so, so she's on it. She's on it. Jesus Christ reigns now. Amen. Amen. Much better. Much better. All right. Jesus rules. He reigns. And that, that truth is either good news to you or it is bad news to you. That truth will never be neutral to you. It is good news for some for us to acknowledge and to recognize the reality that Jesus Christ reigns and he rules the world. The nations, the universe, the planets, everything is under his sovereign power. That for some, and for some, hopefully all, but most of you in this room, that is excellent news. But for some, perhaps even some in this room, that is terrible news. It's amazing how one fact, one reality, one, one truth can be both good news and yet bad news, depending on who you are and how you align with that truth. I was thinking about that. I was trying to think of other examples on something that can be both good news and bad news at the same time, depending on how you receive it. And there are many examples. Uh, again, none of them are perfect because no one, no, there's no good example that can compare us to the Lord. Um, uh, there's, there's nothing that will properly illustrate him ever, because he is the Lord, he is God. But yet, you know, one of the things I came across is the existence of ozone. (laughs) Ozone. You know, ozone can be good for you, and it can be bad for you. Ozone is a gas that, when it's good for you, it's, it's a gas that exists about six miles up in the stratosphere. And what it's doing is it's preventing the UV rays from penetrating the earth in an extensive way that would greatly wreak havoc on human life and other life on the planet. And so it's there in the stratosphere, it, it, it's protecting you, it's prohibiting those UV rays from impacting you negatively. But, especially in some of the large cities, there is the existence of what we, could cre- what we could say humanly created ozone that due to a lot of traffic, due to a lot of chemicals in our exhaust systems and industry, uh, when too much of it is present at ground level, it can negatively impact your breathing and your lungs. That's why you will have, especially in the big cities on the news, the, the ozone level being reported to that none of us probably pay attention to. That's why, but... You see how one reality can be both helpful, it can be good, it can protect you, but yet the same reality can harm you, depending on how it relates to you. 
Well, we're not here to talk about environmental science today, but rather the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. Again, how you respond to this fact, this reality, can either be good news or it can be bad news. It will never be neutral. Psalm 2 is one of the most well-known psalms in the entire Psalter, primarily because of how it's often referred to and quoted in the New Testament. This is a psalm that you will find frequently in the New Testament, quoted at least bits and pieces of it and, and sometimes longer portions of it. It's known as one of the royal psalms because it's concerned with and, and it's even being addressed to the king of Israel, David in this instance, in order to give him confidence in, in response to the many threats of the surrounding nations. It's also known as a messianic psalm because while it does have to do with David and the king of Israel, it ultimately is pointing to the reign and rule of the Messiah, the anointed one. And it's that rule that we ultimately want to look to today, the rule and reign of Jesus Christ, as we consider Psalm 2 and as we consider what it says, not just about David and the king of Israel, but rather ultimately pointing forward to the king of kings, the reign and rule of Jesus Christ. Again, this reign, this rule is either good news or it is bad news for you. And I want you to see why that is the case. And I want my prayer, my hope, is that by the time we leave here today, that if in any way it is bad news, and I'm going to explain what that means in just a few minutes, but if this is, this is a threat to you, my prayer is that all of us would leave here rejoicing in the, 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 the awesome reality that Jesus rules and that this would be a sweet and satisfying truth to all of our hearts and all of our souls, that we would not find this in the least bit terrifying or even offensive. Psalm 2 is divided up nicely into four parts, which for preachers, that helps us, because you get four points today, right? Four parts, and so I want us to walk through these parts to see... What we see in this, by the way, is both a warning and a hope. And so I want us to walk through that warning and that hope can, related to the reign and rule of, of ultimately Christ. And I want us to see how we can find joy and hope in him, in his reign. Let's walk through this together because when we consider these four parts and we then <clears throat> understand the rule and reign of Jesus, I think it will all come together. Notice, notice in the very first part, the first three verses... What we find here described for us is this, this, what I'm calling a feudal rebellion, this attempt on behalf of the surrounding nations to reject the rule and reign of God's appointed king. In this case, King David. David had been anointed king, and there were many in the surrounding nations that were not pleased with this appointment. Many of these nations were what we would call vassals. To David, meaning that, that he, although they were separate nations, he still had authority over them. And, and some, in some sense, they had to subject themselves to him. And they did not 
like being subservient to anyone. It would, it would be kind of like it would be kind of like the state of New York. It's just, I don't even know who the governor of New York is. Let's just pretend they, they get a new governor this week. And uh, New York decides that, you know what? Connecticut and Rhode Island, they're puny little states. Anybody from Connecticut or Rhode Island? <laughs> okay, good. They're teeny tiny little things. I mean, on a weekend, you could probably take a BB gun and a crowbar and take them. <laughs> Small little pieces of land. And so New York decides, we're going to take Connecticut and Rhode Island. But we'll still let them have some level of, of self-governing, but they're going to serve us. <laughs> maybe, maybe they do in some way, I don't know. But that, that would sort of be, I mean, if you lived in Connecticut or Rhode Island, that would not fare well for you, and you would not be happy with that because you're your own state. You, you do your own thing, right? And very similar here, although not quite the same, but... You get the point. That's, that's how these nations were feeling. David's reign, now being appointed as king, was now a threat to them, and they were not taking too kindly to that. They began to plot together, we're told. However, the, the emphasis in Psalm 2 does not deal with, with David's military response to these surrounding threats and plots. What you will not find in Psalm 2 is this great mobilization of military force. You will not find the refortification of Jerusalem's walls, the, 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 the purchase of horses and the building of chariots, the mobilization of warships there in the Mediterranean. In fact, the first word of the psalm begins to, to, to downplay these plots. It begins with the question, why? David, presumably speaking here, why do these nations rage and the people's plot in vain? David is astonished. He's perplexed that, that these people are, are rejecting it, and he's not necessarily offended by that. He's not astonished because they're opposing him, that they're rejecting him. Notice what he says in verse 2. The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against who? the Lord. And he does throw himself in there and his anointed. But ultimately he's perplexed, he's astonished because these surrounding nations are rising up to to oppose, yes, him, but ultimately the Lord. He's astonished at this. You know, I said earlier that this psalm is quoted often in the New Testament. We read this same this same uh, part of Psalm 2 in Acts chapter 4. And in Acts chapter 4, we know that um, in, in the first part of that chapter, the apostles had been arrested and even threatened, threatened with death even, if they continued to proclaim Jesus. And so there, towards the, the, the middle part of chapter 4, they, they received, Peter and John especially received these threats, and they're released from jail. Verse 21 says, And when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, for all were praising God for what had happened. And then I want you to notice in verse 23 what what we read. When they were released, 
They went to their friends and reported that the chief priest, what the chief priest and the elders had said to them. And when they had heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of your father David, your servant, said, By the Holy Spirit. Why did the Gentiles rage? And the people's plot in vain. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. Psalm 2. For, this, for truly in this city were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. The Lord, you anointed him king, and they are threatening that. They're plotting against that, so much so that they crucified him. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, everyone was involved to do whatever your hand had predestined to take place. So they, they're acknowledging the, the vain attempt on behalf of the people to oppose the rule of Jesus. Psalm 2 is the, stating the same thing. David is, is dumbfounded. He's, he's perplexed why they, they're plotting because this is not man's doing. The Lord has put him there. The Lord has put him in charge, and their attempts to reject this will all be vain. You know, when we really consider the impact of Psalm chapter 2, we, we must not only look to the rebellious nations, and we, we must not only look to the New Testament's application of that and the, the rebellion and the the resistance of the surrounding peoples concerning the, the reign of Christ, the rule of Jesus. But you know what? We, we need to look to our own hearts. We need to look to our own lives because we are made up of the same material that these surrounding nations and all of the people that schemed against Jesus, what they're made out of. These nations did not want a king ruling over them. They wanted independence. They wanted self-autonomy. Friends, what do you think it is that we want at the end of the day? Do you like having someone over you? Left to yourself when you begin to unpeel your heart and you begin to really expose who you are at the end of the day? You do not like that. You reject authority. You reject ultimately God's authority. That's, that's the, the foundation of our sin. It's a rebellion against Him. It's the reality of all our hearts. We were all created to live under the rule of God. But every one of us has opposed and rejected that rule. It's part of the indictment in Romans chapter 1, verse 18. And Ephesians 2, we could go on and on. God has established His rule. He's, he's, he's made clear in creation and certainly in special revelation in the Bible. He's made crystal clear that He's the sovereign, He's in control, and that we should serve and worship Him. And what, what at the end of the day we say is, no. It's what we say. God has established his rule and we reject it. Friends, I'm speaking of a spiritual reality that we all face. You might very well be here today and have done everything you possibly can to reject God's rule in your life. Maybe you're here because your parents drug you here, but you could care less about the rule and reign of God in your life? Maybe you're here because, mainly because of, you feel good about yourself, but you don't live under the rule and reign of God. 
Maybe you're trying to please a spouse or trying to please someone else or, or, or have some kind of persona or pr- present yourself as someone that you really aren't. But you have no concern when you walk out of here today. In fact, even as you're sitting, you have no desire whatsoever to, to submit to the rule and reign of Christ. Friends, I would say that if that is you, and only you know that, if that is you, let me just say this very, as, as a piece of advice, you will not win. And all of your efforts to oppose the rule and reign of God in your life will fail. Because the Bible tells us there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. And you will either say that out of joy and worship, or you will say that out of bitterness and resentment on your way to judgment. How you feel and how you think does not change reality. So, there's this feudal rebellion. It's not only the nations, it's us. Number two, a humble reminder. Let's walk quickly. I get hung up on these things sometimes, sorry. God responds to the rebels, verses 4 through 6. I love his response. Look at verse 4. He who sits in the heavens laughs. You know what God does to our attempts to reject the, the rule and reign of Christ? He laughs at that. Notice the language. He sits. He who sits in the heavens. He, he's, he's not concerned. You get this picture of someone who has full confidence and full control. And when we try to say no to him, he merely laughs. I'm convinced that God is laughing at groups like ISIS and Boko Haram even today, whose promise is to destroy all Christians. It's a serious thing we should take with the utmost seriousness and pray. But God laughs at that. God laughs at the nations who try to keep their borders closed to the gospel. God laughs at the secular humanists, the atheists. On and on we could go. God laughs at these attempts, these futile attempts to reject his authority. He laughs. But friends, let me tell you, there is a very fine line between verse 4 and verse 5. Because God's laughter gives way to wrath and anger. Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath. His laughter quickly turns to anger. He's reminding the nations here that they will be held accountable. He's reminding us that we will be held accountable. That while you attempt to reject him, that's amusing to him, but there's coming a day when accountability, you'll have to face that accountability. God is the one who appoints kings and kingdoms. And there's nothing these nations could do. David is now on the throne. Nothing these nations can do about that. God did this. Again, let that be a reminder to us today. That when people attempt to oppose God, it's amusing to him. How can a mere mortal or even a a, a gathering of them, a whole bunch of them called a nation, how can anyone or any group of people seek to undermine the sovereign one over the universe? You know, there's nothing, we can't even, it'd be like taking one of those He-Man swords from the 80s and going to an aircraft carrier and saying, I'm taking you. It's amusing. Really? 
but infinitely more than that. Any attempt to stand against the Lord is doomed to fail. Christians, for us as believers in Jesus Christ, this should be a great source of confidence to you, to me. Because when, the, when, when we look at the world and we see a culture that is less and less accommodating to the gospel and to the church, you know, we often grow discouraged, we grow sometimes angry, we, 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 we sometimes just give our, throw our hands up and act, act as if, what else can we do? We, we hear about all of the, the slaughter that goes on in the world, all of the threats. We speak for truth and it seems like no one hears our voice is muffled by all the others in the world today, and, and we often just, we don't know what to do. But, but what we are reminded of here is that even in the attempts of the nations to oppose the, the authority of God, that, that that is something that God laughs at. It's not a threat to him. You can go to many places and see the, the response of God's people. But number three, there's something that's very close to this. We see not only a humble reminder, but this anointed rule. They're very pretty much close together here. We go to verse 7. I will tell of the decree the Lord said to me, You are my son, today I have begotten you. You know, David goes on to speak about his own appointment as king. And he was one of the things about prophecy and prophetic language in the Old Testament is it when you read a passage like this it never means it never only has a New Testament meaning or it never only has an Old Testament meaning what we see here is a an, uh, a development a, prog- a progression of of meaning yes it has clear impact clear meaning for David's rule David's reign but it's pressing on beyond that to ultimately the rule and reign of Jesus These verses are clearly prophetic in nature. Yes, he's talking about his own kingship and his own rule, but only in a limited sense. These verses look forward to the kingly rule of the anointing. I said earlier that in the New Testament, these verses are used often, often quoted. You go to Matthew chapter 3, verse 17, at Jesus' baptism, the Father is affirming his, his Son, and he's quoting Psalm chapter 2. In Matthew chapter 17, verse 5, at the transfiguration, again, you see the the approval of the Father speaking about His Son, quoting Psalm chapter 2. In Acts chapter 13, verses 32 through 33, Paul, as he's declaring the resurrection, and he's using the resurrection as a demonstration, as proof of Christ being the Father's Son, quotes Psalm chapter 2. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 5, again, quotes Psalm chapter 2 as an affirmation of the rule and reign of Jesus. Jesus is the anointed king, the eternal son who will rule and have possession over all the nations. There's coming a day when Jesus will receive all nations as his inheritance and the ends of the earth as his possession. He rules them now. But there's coming a day when, when people from all nations and all people groups will gladly be his possession and he will have them as his own and at that time he will enjoy absolute dominion over them as they worship and honor him but those who persist in their rebellion we're told he will break with a rod of iron and dash to pieces 
So what does that mean for us as the church? If that's true, what does that mean for you and for me? If it's true that God rules, that God reigns, and that his authority is one that we should all gladly embrace and submit to, and even if we reject it, he laughs at us and he will hold us accountable to that, what does that mean for us as his people who now have, by his grace, gladly submitted to his reign? Does that mean we're done with Psalm 2? Let's go to Psalm 3. Check, done that. No, it means for us, we now have the awesome responsibility and privilege of proclaiming this rule and reign to all people. There are still countless millions in the world who live either with no awareness of this rule and reign or live in a place where they have been inundated with other things that have distorted this rule and reign. There are people in, as I said earlier in my prayer, in your neighborhood, in your workplace, who do not submit their knees in joyful submission to Christ means we have a responsibility to proclaim this rule, this reign to the nations. So what are you doing to make that happen? What are you? What are you doing to make sure that the rule and reign of Christ is being proclaimed to the ends of the earth? What are you doing? Not, not, not the person sitting beside of you, not your spouse, not your children or your grandchildren or anyone else, but you. What are you doing now gathered with a lot of yous sitting in here, what are we doing to make sure that this reign and rule is, is being proclaimed to the ends of the earth because that is the hope of the nations? It's an anointed rule that provides, number four, a promised refuge. After God's decree is given, and once the rebellion of the nations is acknowledged, and once the warning, as we see here, has been set forth, God laughs, and then he's going to hold them to account in his wrath. What do we see? We see that he's also a God of grace. He's a God who warns and who acknowledges accountability. He, he establishes his rule, his reign through his son. He, he proclaims his kingdom, his kingship over all. He warns those who oppose that and and says to them, you will be held accountable. But yet he extends this gracious invitation to escape this judgment that is coming for those who oppose him. What we see in these final verses is a call to these rebels to lay down their arms and to submit to this king. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Don't be foolish. Be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear. Don't serve yourself. And rejoice with trembling. Kiss the sun. It's just language, beautiful language that's described the, the glad and joyful submission of one acknowledging the authority of another. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are those, all of those who take refuge in him. 
Be wise and be warned. Serve the Lord with fear. Rejoice with trembling. Blessed are those who take refuge in Him. Do you see what the Lord is doing? He, he's, he's not one who only pronounces judgment because of those rejecting His King. But He also extends hope and grace to those who would gladly acknowledge that rule and reign. There's hope for you, nations. There's hope for you, peoples of the earth, that you don't have to stand in opposition, an opposition that's doomed to failure anyway. You don't have to be that. You don't have to live in this this plot that is going to do you no good. But rather, you can be one of these who gladly and joyfully recognizes this rule and reign. You can serve the Lord. One of these, what we see in Psalm 2 is, is, is the gospel, isn't it? What a beautiful picture of the gospel that there is a king who rules. There are people who reject that rule, and yet there is provision through this same king to bring these rebels to saving grace. Salvation. If they would simply kneel and recognize his rule and reign over their lives. There's warning And there's grace. That's exactly what we have in the gospel. Kiss the Son and find hope, find refuge. Come to Christ and find life. Remain in rebellion, perish. That's the extension of the gospel. It comes to us with a serious warning, but yet also a gracious invitation. That's the same offer for you today. There is a king that God has appointed. His name is Jesus. And he's not only a king, but he's a king who is God that clothed himself in humanity. He came and he breathed the same air. Maybe not this air, but the same air. He he walked the same ground. He lived the same kind of life you and I live. He, he, he would bleed. He would be hungry. He, he was a man, a perfect man, a man who never failed, a man who never sinned, a man who never stumbled, but yet a man who went to a cross, who took upon himself our sin and the judgment we deserved incurring on himself the judgment of God so that anyone who would look to him and trust in him and cry out to him and yield their lives to him would have hope, would have life, would have joy, would have peace, would live in this kingdom that is not doomed to failure, but this kingdom that has been established forever. This king who sits on a throne will never be dethroned. This king continues to rule. He rules then, he rules now, he will rule in the future. Nothing will ever change that. This king does not have term limits. This king will never be assassinated. They tried that and he came back to life. This king will never be destroyed. So you can serve this king or you can go the way of the nations. Make yourself king or queen or serve someone else. But no, no, you have been given the offer. 
Friends, do you, do you find yourself much like these nations that stand opposed to God's king? You're the only one that can answer this. Are you, are you in your heart of hearts, fighting against God's own rule in your life? And, and have you rejected the king that he has appointed? All of us have. Rather, the question probably should be, have you acknowledged that rejection and now gladly submitted to his rule and his reign in your life? And get this. This king that we speak of, he will either be your greatest joy and your greatest hope and your greatest confidence, or he will be your worst enemy. He will not be neutral. As I said earlier, there are, there's two realities with the kingship of Christ. It's either good news or it's bad news. And when I say it's bad news, it means that his rule and his reign, when that's rejected, you will be held accountable for that. The Lord has set his king on his holy hill, the psalm tells us. And yes, David was that king, but the son of David is ultimately that king. And he has not moved. And he will never move from that holy hill where he rules and reigns with all power and all authority. There's no army, there's no nation, there's no person, there's no devil that can ever remove him. How have you responded to that reign? Have you gladly surrendered to him and follow him? Or are you continuing in your rebellion against him? If you are, friend, if you are, you are doing so in vain. You are doing so in vain. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way. For his wrath is quickly kindled. But blessed, blessed are those who take refuge in him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the fact that Jesus is king. We thank you that you have anointed him as king, and we thank you that there is no one who will ever be greater than him. He is the king of kings and lord of lords. There is no one that will ever dethrone him. There is no one that will ever remove him. And Lord, that is good news. It is good news because of what he ultimately did to secure our, our lives. So that if we would acknowledge his rule and reign, that if we would turn away from our sin and trust in him, what he did through his death and resurrection, we would simply believe in that and trust in that and follow him. Lord, that is, that is good news. But for many, Lord, most people in the world, and maybe for, even for many people, some people in this room, that is not good news because of their persistence in their rebellion. And Father, if there's anyone here in this room today that, that hears this message and they recognize that they have continued to persist in rebellion against this king, but today, Lord, maybe it's today, maybe it's now that you have opened their eyes to this and, and, and Lord, would you now draw them, would you work effectually in them to bring them to yourself and, and bring them from rebellion to submission. Save them, Lord. Lord, forbid that they would be the ones that would perish, but Lord, would you allow them to be the ones that are blessed 
because they take refuge in you. Father, would you work in their hearts even now and would you enable them to respond with joy and gratitude and come running to the King. Father, we know that you have a desire that we would all serve and honor you. And I pray, Lord, that even for us who are believers and those who follow you, who, who walk in your ways, Lord, there are times in our lives where we, we show evidence of that former way. And we will sometimes yield to ourselves and not to you. Would you help us? Would you forgive us? Would you enable us to be people who walk in righteousness and truth and who gladly walk in the joy of your rule and reign? Father, you know our hearts, you know our struggles. Would you now come and be our guide and vision? Would you help us to see you for who you are and walk in a way that's pleasing to you and satisfying to our souls? We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.